Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for what you're doing in the earth. Thank you for preparing your people, cleansing your body uh, with all of the methods that you use. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to continue with Faction Cannot Prevail. I think this will be very interesting. This is number four. So, to defeat faction, we need to know two things. His evil tactics and how to have authority over his power in our life. I'm going to start with the tactics. Know your enemy's tactics. This is a revelation given to Tiana Fire, 5-6-23. She said, In my dream, I was invited to participate in a competition but it wasn't made known what you had to do. I believe the competition is a test or trial to see who will fall away and be deceived by the factious leader or apostasy. It was located on this small island, only accessible by boat, which could only occur for a few hours during the daytime. Well, we we are on an island here of sorts. The Lord has showed us the outline of it. Um, uh, we're bordered by fault lines and a river. And we were shown the fault lines would open up uh, as the craton moved west, leaving water around us. And this would cause us to be accessible by boat, as this revelation says. Uh, the waking hours... And the light of the sun, S-O-N, is the test. On the island, there was a six-story building to the right, and there was a school, restaurant, hotel, public toilet, uh, shower, and shops, all in this building. And there was a, a deck that went all around this building in a circular shape. Amen. We know about this. We've had this revelation before in other places and over the ways. So all that is needed to build the kingdom uh, in man um, is there. Six is the number of fallen man, which is our temptation during the trials. The uh, outer man decays as the inner man is renewed. That's up to us. We make the choice. There was bush as soon as you got off the boat and one path that led to the area on the island where everything was located. Uh, Well, these trials or tests must be overcome in our own wilderness like it was with Moses before he could lead others through the trials of the wilderness. I walked down that path with the other people that were on the boat 
and we were greeted by a man who told us that he was the manager of the island. That's what he thinks anyway. And he was the host of the competition. And he led us to uh, the left area, that don't sound good, uh, of the island where the competition would be. The manager is a type of the factious leader who leads to the left uh, to test many people. He works for Satan, the administrator of the curse, uh, sent to test many in what sometimes feels like an ice island of isolation. Uh, we're never alone when we have uh, Christ with us, right? And uh, Galatians 2 and 20 says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we're not alone. And Jesus was led of the Spirit to be tempted of Satan and overcome in order to begin his ministry. So we're, we're in good company. There were around ten other women already there for the competition. Well, ten is the number of the law or testimony or commandments, and also a number that represents completeness. It could be the completeness of the body that's going through the test to see who was going to win, right? So every person in the competition was wearing a certain color. One lady was blue, one pink, one green, etc. I was yellow, representing the color of the sun, S-O-N slash S-U-N. The women were all, from all different parts of the world, representing different groups in the, the running for the bride, like Esther. Only one represents uh, the sun, S-O-N slash S-U-N, fully uh, kind of like the Philadelphia Church of Brotherly Love. That was the one that measured up, actually. The host uh, manager told us that we had to go along this path that led throughout the island that had bush on either side of the path. He didn't tell us how to win. Well, the factious leader is never going to tell you how to win. He wants to hide that. And that's why he tries to get rid of our sight and other things. Um, he said that we all had to walk together until the end, and that only one of us could win, but we all had to stay together. Well, that was the whole, that was the rules of the game. If you broke the rules, the factious leader knows he has authority over you. There has to be a oneness, right? So the test is to stay one in Christ while the wicked uh, faction works for Satan uh, and seeks to disqualify us and dismember us. Only one wins the race, and that is Christ. We are one body in Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Know ye not that they that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. Even so, run that you may attain. So we know that that one is Christ and everybody in him, right? So we walked together along the path and we encountered various trials. We found out at the end that we were all being tested to see how we would all react and respond to the trials and the situations. And when we all got to the end of the path, we were told that I had won the competition. 
And one of the rewards was that I would get paid an extreme amount of money to help look after a school and a hotel on the island. Yep, this is a true picture of the bride's reward. So only the one wearing yellow, representing being clothed with Christ's works, wins. And this is the chosen above many women. Uh to be the bride of Christ. Esther 2, 16 and 17 says this, So Esther was taken unto King Ahasuerus, unto his house royal in the tenth month, which is the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained favor and kindness in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head, and made her queen instead of Vashti, who, by the way, rebelled against the king's command to come, and she did not come. Uh, Kind of like when Jesus gave the same command, and she did not come. So we were all then invited into the restaurant in the building to have a free meal together. We all sat at at a giant table, and I believe this represents the seven-day-slash-year marriage feast uh, in the seven-year tribulation, where the man-child feeds the spiritual food of life uh, to the bride and so on. I felt like the black sheep. I felt left out as the other women there didn't like me. That's normal. Yeah. That's just as in the Song of Solomon. The uh, Shulamite was an object of jealousy from the competition, which often causes the factious to show themselves, right? James 3 and 16. For where jealousy and faction are, there is confusion in every vile deed. The manager was also sitting at the table, and... uh, Psalm 23 and 5 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Yes, that's how the Lord does it. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, my cup runneth over. So I got up to go to the bathroom to use the toilet, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said that if I went there, to use the toilet, the manager would follow me, follow me in and force me and abuse me. Well, if we're determined to rid ourselves from the waste of the old life, it will make factious leader angry. And he is a molester of souls. He goes after those who follow Christ and the Word. So the factious are offended with our desire to be cleansed of defilement. Proverbs 2 and 14 says, Who rejoice to do evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. So I tried to just stay in the public area where people were. What does this symbolize? Well, it symbolizes, I believe, that we cannot hide and get rid of sin. We are to be transparent in confessing our sins one to another to get rid of the waste of the old life. First John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So there are those who, who especially those with rejection, who would like to hide and get rid of it, but God won't permit it. Confessing it is powerful. I went back to the table to watch everyone to make sure nothing would happen to anyone, and when I noticed a young man walking over to the bathroom, I heard the Holy Spirit say to warn the young man to not go in there, otherwise the man would follow him in and hurt him. So I ran over to the young man and told him what Jesus said, and the man believed me and went away uh, into a public area. So the enemy will attempt to harm, deceive, or corrupt the elect, or sow a seed in them that is contrary to God's seed, right? Our duty is to be alert to the Holy Spirit to aid the whole body, always. Always remain in the sight and uh, be listening. In the NENT she gave, First uh, Peter 3 and 12, because the Lord's eyes are upon the righteous and his ears unto their supplication, but the Lord's face is upon those doing evil. So, when sitting at the table, the Lord told me to go around to everyone and warn them about this man. So I went throughout the building, finding individuals and groups of people, and warned them about this evil man and what he was doing. Well, in the Word, they are, are rebuked openly, too, and corrected openly, and this usually sets them off, because, you know, the Bible talks about the fool hates correction. Well, that sets them off. Any kind of correction sets them off. Most people believed me and knew that it was true. Some of them confessed to me that the man had hurt them before, but they couldn't do anything or tell anyone. Okay, that's the spirit of faction when it uses fear and intimidation and misplaced loyalty to cause us not to reveal a wolf in our midst. You are supposed to do this, obviously. We have no loyalty to the wicked, and we're told to mark them. Romans sixteen seventeen and 18 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that are causing the divisions and occasions of stumbling. Divisions being faction, right? Contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and turn away from them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Christ, but their own belly and by their smooth and fair speech beguile the hearts of the innocent. So there are some innocent people that got um, turned over to this, uh, probably for a humbling, uh, and probably they will come back out of it. God put a mark on Cain for his sin, right? I shared the real good news with them, and Jesus comforted them and gave them strength and boldness uh, to speak up to their parents or the police and to others around. So he's basically saying, be bold in Christ. Um, He has overcome the world. Take comfort. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say at the needed time. Uh, These dreams are given to warn many. 2 Timothy 1 and 7, For God gave us not a spirit of fearfulness, but of power and love and discipline. Yes. 
I kept avoiding the host while I went about warning everyone I could find. I kept uh, trying to get the woman or the women that were in the competition alone so I could tell them about this man. But it was hard to tell them privately because they were mostly hanging around the man who who was the host, right? Well, faction goes through the denominational church. They are factioned against one another. It's not near as radical as this latest faction because God wants to purify a bride from among the people, okay? The apostate leaders are deceiving and seducing many women, representing groups of Christians, captivating them with their charm and position, and they enjoy having um, his attention, right? At one point, the ladies in the competition were alone out on the deck, so I was able to warn them about the man and told them about the victims that have witnessed his evil. And, of course, we're doing that right now. Some of the girls laughed at me and mocked me as they didn't believe me. And I said to them with sadness in my heart to please just be aware and not to risk being alone with the man because I care about them and don't want anything to happen to them. I pleaded with them to keep their guard up. Well, deception can be so entrenched uh, they would defend the unjust and mock those who are speaking the truth. Kind of like the prophets in the Old Testament were done, you know. Only a couple of the girls believed me, and I could see that they were a little worried, and I told them if anything happens for them to call on Jesus, and he will save them. Call and believe in the name of Jesus, and you shall be saved. Romans 10 and 13, For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. One of the girls in the competition with me, who had laughed and mocked me when I first tried to warn her, came over to me and was crying and distressed, and she confessed that the manager had hurt her, and she regretted not heeding the warning. I can tell you, folks, a lot of people don't heed the warning. I had sympathy for her and comforted her and spoke gently and with compassion, I shared that only Jesus can understand what she experienced and feels because he bore it all and only Jesus could heal her. She was very humbled and desperately wanting to grab onto the hope of Jesus and I told her everything I could and I prayed with her. Well, Second Corinthians five eighteen and 19 says, But all things are of God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, to make people one with Christ, right? To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not reckoning unto them their trespasses, and having committed unto us the word of reconciliation, which, of course, she was carrying out there very well. So, I'm going to call this Hidden Agenda, Traffic the Children. Tiana Fire, 429-23. 
I had a dream of a certain man. He had a wife and children of his own, a nice house, and he was very loved and known for good works in his community. Everyone loved him and thought he was a good man because he did good things to gain respect. He took in runaways and helped many homeless and those in need. He gave them money and resources and a place to stay, and he often took in uh, young women. Well, as we will see, this man represents uh, factious and apostate Christianity. They try to appear to be good and caring on the outside in order to deceive many. I experienced this dream that I was one of those young women and that he would take, that he would take in. So Tiana, I believe, appears to represent the bride here. He and his wife were very friendly. They also had some foster children that they would care for. After I had been staying there for a while, the man of the household told me and the other children, including their foster children, that we were now required to help him with work. Hmm. So he drove us to this motel that he owned. They seem nice in appearance, but underneath are many lusts and uh, many vile deeds. The faction in the secular world and the church are overcome by many lusts. Matthew 23 and 27 says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whited sepulchers, which outwardly appear beautiful, but inwardly are full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Thus you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but inwardly are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Very good description of them. He took us to the first room and told one of the girls that she had to go in there and wait for the man that she was to help. And then he locked her in the room and went to the next room and did the same thing with another child. And he did this with each child or teenager until it was my turn. Uh, The sick reality is that the faction and other apostates are trafficking the souls of the children of God. Praise God that they're being exposed. I knew, in fact, you should pray that, right? I knew uh, what was going on was evil and I would not comply. I confronted him and told him how evil this was and that it was not going to happen to me. But he insisted. He became very forceful and didn't let me leave and tried to push me into the room and quickly shut the door to lock me inside. I then spoke the word and commanded him to let me go as I am a chosen child of God and that he had to let me go. It was as soon as I spoke the word that a rush of wind, representing the Spirit of God, knocked him back, and I was able then to escape. I tried to help the others who were locked in the rooms, but I couldn't open the doors, and then I woke up. Well, we know the Spirit of God is coming to help those 
that escaped the Edomites, who hated and killed their chosen brothers in Israel as a type of the church. Isaiah 63, 1-5 says this, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah, this that is glorious in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness mighty to save. Yes, the Lord is coming as a Savior. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine vat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the peoples there was no man with me. Yea, I trod them in mine anger, and trampled them in my wrath, and their life blood is sprinkled upon my garments. I have stained all my raiment, for the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. So he came to save some with vengeance upon their enemies. Hmm. Now, this is very interesting. This is uh, all about the factious leader's demon telling of his intentions. Hmm. This is Claire Pinar, 523.23. I dreamed my family lived in a beautiful new home that was laid out like my parents' old home. That's I believe, represents living as the first church lived. It had new bathrooms and kitchen. It was early morning and the sun was shining. My maid, Jane, was there and I could see her hanging up our cleaning, whitewashing, uh, specifically uh, our bedding on the washing line. And I could also see that she had uh, what I called our royal bedding that she was about to bring into the house and put on the beds while the whites were drying. And she has a note here. She said, We build our houses according to the original gospel to rest in purity uh, the royal way with the angels as ministering servants. Amen. My children were all lining up uh, to have a nice warm bath, one at a time, and then I would uh, bath last. We were all so thankful for our new bathroom, and we liked living in this home, in this area, with sunshine. Well, that's with the sun shining his glory upon them, right? Amen. Some people like to live in darkness. So she puts a note representing sanctification and holiness of the fruit of faith. Uh Uh-huh. I walked to where Rion was in the living room and opened my laptop. There was an email from the factious leader. He had interpreted a dream that I sent David personally. And that's because he is a military-trained hacker and hacks into everything. He cares nothing about the laws of man or the laws of God. Um, He invades things, which is against the law, of course. And sent it back to me, and it looked like this. So this was his interpretation, the, the factious leader's interpretation. I was treading the wine press. His feet were red with the grape juice. And then Claire put a note. She said, the blood of the saints. Exactly, exactly correct. 
And then his demon spoke, Don't muzzle the ox. I'll be condemning you all to hell as I go down there. You'll all come with me. Hmm. So that's his plan to kill the saints. And both spiritually and physically do they do it. Not everyone physically dies, but they die spiritually and really have no interest in the Lord when those spirits enter into them. They are dead to the Lord. I didn't get to read the rest of the dream. I closed the laptop. Rion said, it's probably best to ignore him. And I agreed and let David know that he was intercepting emails to David's private email. Yes, he's done that before. I went to check on uh, my children, and they were now all clean and freshly bathed. Amen. The children of the bride are going to be greatly blessed. They'll be coming out of the kingdoms of men, most of them. I woke up, and I opened my Bible, not really expecting anything, as I was not asking the Lord anything specific. And my finger landed on 1 Corinthians 9 and 1. And as I read, I came to that portion of not muzzling the ox. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9 and 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. It, is it for the oxen that God careth? <laughs> Well, the factious leader actually fancies himself to be uh, righteous, and his vile deeds are no problem with his God, who is Satan. His hope is to destroy UBM and David, as he has said. And his lust uh, was always to be a leader, and now he is one, just like Haman. So, This next one we call Final Curse Attempts of the Faction Fails. The final one fails. Clary Pernar, 523-23. I dreamed I was in the foyer of a large auditorium. David Eels had a banquet table out in the front. On the right side as you entered the auditorium from the outside. Right side is good. That's where the sheep are, right? Uh, and she has a note representing the UBM website that is large and has lots of food uh, of the Word in it and uh, the teaching of the books and the videos and so on and so forth. Linda had a table on the left. That doesn't sound good. That's where the goats are. And Linda means a beautiful serpent. Yes, serpent spirits, by the way, the poison is in their head. And that's what they do. They mess with people's head. Mm -hmm. She kept on trying to gain a seat at the table where David and I were seated. Well, the factious leader has come back temporarily three times, but could never repent of his lusts. So he left again, always offended because we wouldn't give him his way. (laughs) Yeah. So, she said, this represents the factious leader trying to infiltrate the website and the people. Yes, it's true. She came around the back of my chair and told me that she's now out of a job. And she's moving on. Well, that sounds really good, doesn't it? 
um, the factious Herod, Judas, Absalom is dying at the hands of God, and their demons are moving on. But before she goes, she has one last thing to share. A table appeared behind David's table, perpendicular to his table. There a poor-looking Italian man was performing art and decor with chocolate. He was really good at it. Well, chocolate seems sweet, but it is a dark art, like voodoo, which the factious leader practices on people's minds to capture them. One of the factions supplied pictures so that the factious leader could focus voodoo on us. But what we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Yes, thank you, Lord God. He had to pay Linda to perform his art, and then people paid him for his art. At first I was super impressed, but then I noticed how scrawny that he was, and his suit was very shabby. Well, the factious are not dressed up with the works of Christ, but the works of the old man. Because it goes on to say, he was clearly past his prime, and was holding on to the glory days of being a chocolatier. He left. There it is again. So this was one last temptation that was being offered. And uh, and in parallel to the beautiful serpent, he is moving on. And so you got two witnesses there. They are moving on. Two dark couples, very tall, very overweight, walked in then. This symbolizes that they are submitted to darkness and full of flesh. They looked like homeless, drunken gangsters. They took a brother and held him up. One cursed him and said, This old guy is too fat. The brother expanded in front of my eyes. In other words, they fulfilled the curse, right? Another one picked him up and also cursed him. Look, he must be sick because he's so thin. See, if they can't <laughs> criticize you one way, they'll do it another, and it doesn't make sense. That's why we call them the stupid demons, right? He then shrunk in front of my eyes. So this is the manner of voodoo, to focus on the person and curse them. That's what they do. I knew these were curses, and I could not agree with them. They kept looking at me tauntingly. And then they wanted more alcohol, and they went elsewhere to find it. Ultimately, their addictions will get the better of them or distract them from their focus which is to taunt and tempt the bride. Well, one of their addictions is sex in every direction. I then saw a girl who was friends with Linda. She hoped, she excuse me, hopped out of a black car and she had long dark hair. Her name was Raquel. Raquel is from Rachel. 
and means you. She was Jacob's favorite wife. This girl has historically always looked sad to me. However, it seemed she'd left Linda's friendship and was now running alongside a blonde girl, which we know in a lot of dreams is the bride. They were not coming inside, but she had a beautiful big smile on her face and looked truly happy for the first time since I have known her. So, the righteous seed will escape the evil faction. Amen. Linda said again, I'm out of a job. I'm going to have to try something else. So, the attempt of the serpent to beguile and infiltrate failed. Amen. So, now we're going to talk about defeating the factious power. And this first one we called it separating the factious from the righteous. There has to be a separation or, and that's the way you can defeat them. This was given to Belinda on 10-4-2011. And it's still very, very true. I had a vision that I was, it was dark. And in the darkness, I saw a house. The house was shining very brightly on the right side. There you go. It appeared to be glowing. I saw people gathered in a circle. They were very tall, and they seemed at peace. They were praying and singing praises to the Lord. Well, this, of course, represents um, the UBM house, and on a larger type, the house of God. Uh, They were on the right side because they were sheep, which Jesus put on the right. Um, that side was shining brightly because the glory of God is there. They were tall because they were big and mature in the ways of the Lord. Then she continues, On the left side of the house, it was very dark, and smoke was coming out of the walls. The people looked like dwarves. They were angry and agitated. And they kept pacing back and forth. Well, the left is, of course, those who act as goats, which Jesus put on his left. It was very dark because they are walking in darkness. Smoke is coming out of the walls because the judgment of God is upon it. They were dwarves because they have been stunted in their growth and are small and immature in the ways of the Lord. They are angry and agitated because they are full of witchcraft, voodoo, faction, anger, slander, wrath, etc. And they're pacing back and forth because they are nervous and stirred up by these spirits. In fact, The only thing that they can do is follow Satan uh, to um, pester the righteous. There was a door that separated the two sides of the house. There were no handles on either side of this door. So this is good. This is the separation that must be kept if you're going to conquer this enemy. God has made a separation between the righteous and the factious. 
Uh, they may not get at the truly righteous who obey God's word to separate from them, and we may not minister to them, for God has given them over to this to prove them. Um, a handle could be provided, though, for them to come through the door if there was unforgiveness or other willful sin among the righteous. Do you understand? Close the door. Take the handle off. Okay. Don't give in to any form of unforgiveness. And there are many forms of it. Bitterness, hatred, criticism, so on and so forth. Don't give in to it. Because you are getting close to being taken out. The people on the left were angry because they could not figure out how to get this door open to get to the other side. And... And... um Pester the righteous. The goats have been uh, bitter and angrily trying to get at the righteous with their slander. They wanted to stop those people from singing and praising the Lord. The demons hate peace and praise among the righteous. There was a crack about three quarters of the way down through the center of the house. And it looked like at any time the house would split apart. This is the spiritual earthquake that we've seen that is separating those who walk in sin from uh, the refuge and the bride. The separation will soon be physical, and those who do not repent will leave our house and make us a purified house. The Lord said to me, as I meditated on this, that his foot is pushing down on the left side of the house. As the weight of their sin becomes greater, they will break off. Father has been showing us for several years through dreams, visions, and prophecy that an army of demons would make war with UBM and myself uh, in an attempt to destroy our influence on the earth. But at the same time, we were shown that we would become greater uh, in holiness, power, and ministry. She went on to say, I noticed that the right side of the house was firmly on the foundation, whereas the left side of the house had no ground under it. And I thought to myself, if that house splits all the way, the left side is going to fall, and I would say, into hell. And there's nothing to catch it. Amen. So they're not founded on the rock of God's word, but on the sand of the abyss. And Jesus said concerning the fall of that house, great was the fall thereof. Hmm. Matthew seven twenty four through 27. And also, unforgiveness has taken away grace from them. I'll put a link here to that. The factious leader has his eye on carving up UBM for himself from the cover of darkness. God also had his own plan to separate those who could give in to these lusts. And so he has. 
So we pray constantly for our brethren that they would come to repentance. And we know that some will and will come out from among them. And we thank God for that. Okay, I'm going to call this uh, The Unforgiving or Unforgiven. Those who do not have forgiveness or grace for others will not have it themselves and will live under the curse and demonic oppression or possession, for they are the wicked. And Matthew 6 and 14 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He's very offended at those who do not forgive when he forgave them, right? 18 and 32. Then his Lord called him unto him and said unto him, Thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou besoughtest me. Shouldest not thou also have had mercy on thy fellow servant, even as I had mercy upon thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. Verse 34. And these are demons. Till he should pay all that was due. So shall also my heavenly Father do unto you, if you forgive not every one his brother from your hearts. I want to talk a little bit about the Judas spirit. Judas was among the disciples of Jesus, whom later was called the son of perdition or destruction by Jesus. The other disciples did not know who he was until he fell away. And, of course, he fell away to crucify Jesus, or the body of Christ, if you will, because everything we have to take up our cross and follow him. We are his body in the earth today, and history is repeated on a larger scale, right? So Jesus knew who he was and that he had a job to do in crucifying his flesh. He said, didn't I choose you twelve? And one of you is a devil. Hmm. At the Last Supper, he even told him to hurry up and get it over with. In not so many words. Uh, Judas was full of rejection and retaliation in his heart. And when Jesus corrected him, he became angry. Just like our factious leader, which is normal for those with spirits of rejection and faction. And when he ate the sop, the Lord told me when I read that one day, he, he said, son of perdition. Yes. Uh, now we know in the natural it's not that, but that's what he wanted me to remember it as, and I have. So Satan entered into him. In darkness, Judas was led to enlist the uh, Jezebel religious system. To follow him. Um, that's not hard to do. Um, and to do his dirty work for him. They in turn tried to turn the public away from Jesus. So they could kill him. And so that his truths would not be known. It is a clear fact that history repeats with larger and larger groups of people. There is among the disciples today Judas's who when convicted of their errors, will retaliate 
uh, to crucify Christ among us. And Judas hung himself with his own hands. And he was cut off from the breath or the Spirit of God. And this is perfectly prophesied in Scripture to happen on a world scale in our day. Let me say that slanders and railers are lost. God says in His Word that slanders and revilers or railers, some persons say, will not be saved without repentance. But in these days, many will not return from this path, just as when Jesus came the first time. And the word slanderer in Greek is diablos, meaning accuser or devil. That's right. Slander is a devil. In fact, the Spanish translation of devil is diablos. And according to Vine's Expository Dictionary, these are those who are given to finding fault with with the demeanor or conduct of others and uh, spreading their innuendos and criticisms in the church. That was all a quote. Okay. In a similar way, the word reviler or railer in Greek is often blasphemio, meaning to blaspheme or to speak against God or the brethren, or both. So, those who blaspheme are obviously of the same nature and controlled by the devil and not God. Whenever you see a person or group of people abusing some person like this, remember that these are demons speaking. Demons slander and rail against the righteous. So you can suspect that their victim is righteous. (laughs) The only exception to this rule is when God turns their venom on one another in judgment so that they reap what they sow. You cannot associate with such people without a little leaven leavening the whole lump. So we're commanded in 1 Corinthians 5 to separate from them. Those that don't, they could be losing their eternal life. I know people that have been in this way since 2011, and they haven't become any better. They've become worse, more corrupt, less um, able to hear or listen to any word from God. So Paul, by God, turned blasphemers who have fallen away from the faith and defile their conscience over to Satan. First Timothy one nineteen, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having thrust from them made shipwreck concerning the faith. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered unto Satan that they might be taught not to blaspheme. And of course, God still does this in our day. We shouldn't do it. We should let God do it. We can do it under His orders, like Paul did, obviously, twice that we know of in Scripture. There was one that had his father's wife um, that he turned over this way, too. This is not a stretch for the faction. They don't abide by any normal uh, moral rules. 
So revilers or railers are placed with the worst of men and rejected by all good men. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 says, Or know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men, which is common among the faction, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, there's railers, same word, nor extortioners, and they are extortioners, they will steal money from you, use their position with you to steal from you, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And they give the craziest reasons for stealing from you, but it doesn't matter, they're still stealing. Okay? And faction here is the purpose of slander and railing. It means to separate followers for selfish ambition. And we're commanded to separate from such after just two instances because it will leaven you so quickly and so badly. (laughs) Titus 3.10 A factious man after a first and second admonition refuse. You better obey that one. We have found out what happens to those that don't. Galatians 5 and 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Well, that's that's pretty good uh, identification right there. Idolatry, sorcery, which is witchcraft, right? Enmities, strife, jealousies, wraths, factions, divisions, parties, Envyings, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I forewarn you, even as I did forewarn you, that they who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And parties here is a very similar. It it uh, it means a self-willed opinion, leading into dividing into sects or denominations. Self-willed opinion is. They read your mind and they say, oh, you're this and you're that, blah, blah, blah. I said, where's the proof? No, we don't need that. (laughs) They never need any proof to accuse anybody. They never obey the rules Jesus laid down of going and talking to the brother first. They go to step three, which is to bring it before the church because they want faction. Yeah. So, slander and faction are always associated with lying spirits and other forms of deceit. Psalm 50 and 19, Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Hmm. They will be greatly disappointed and shamed. Shame is often connected with them in the scripture. None of these enter the kingdom of God without repentance. Revelation 21 and 8. But for the fearful, 
the unbelieving. They are unbelieving of the Scriptures. It goes in one ear and out the other. In fact, I don't even think it's that close to their brain. It just goes over their head, you know. Uh, and abominable. And murderers. Yes, they are murderers. And fornicators. Yes, of all kinds. Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their part shall be in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And they conveniently don't believe anything that I just said. <laughs> so, I'm going to leave you some um, recommended listening and um, also a couple of articles here. Don't sell your birthright, uh, which Edom did, of course, um, and some others, another revelations. Well, Father, um, I pray for all my brethren out there that they, if they feel any attacks against their mind uh, of faction or criticism or uh, anything against their brothers, unforgiveness of any form, that they will get prayer. They will repent of it and get prayer quickly before their mind is taken over by this faction because it is a judgment of reprobation on many. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for enabling us to warn the brethren, as we were clearly told in the revelations here today, uh, about this man and about the people that follow him. So we thank you, Father, for your goodness to us in preserving us through all these trials and accepting our crucifixion and uh, so on and so forth. Amen. Well, all right. Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and keep you. Um, Brother Michael is going to come and share some words. And we just ask you, Father, to bless Michael mightily and anoint him well uh, to be able to share with our brethren. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. God bless. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord with prayer. Father God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I thank you for making us victorious in your name. And I ask and I pray, Father, and declare that Luke chapter 10, verse 19, that we have been given authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing is going to harm us in Jesus' name, I pray. And Father, we thank you for your word that we understand that all the worlds were framed by your word. When you spoke it out, that's what happened. And that's how we are to walk too, Father. And I ask that you place it in us today to hear the word about faith for healing and that it would be a, a blessing to everybody in Jesus' name. And I thank you for it. Glory to God. Well, I want to talk about truth and uh, uh, the true faith for healing. You know, when you read in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds have been framed or created by the word of God, so that what is seen hath not been made out of things which do appear. Now we, we can understand the secret of Genesis 1 when it says, In the beginning God created. Well, how did he create? He spoke it by the word of faith. He said, let there be. 
He created with words. Jesus knew the secret of words. He healed the sick with words. He raised the dead with words. He stilled the sea with peace be still. Peter healed the sick by using the name of Jesus. Paul, he cast out demons by saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. They used words that were born of faith. They were faith words. And we become the sons of God and partake of his very nature by acting on words. And that's when we become faith men and women. We use faith words and we produce faith results. And the reason that people have unbelief is that they don't know what they are in Christ. They have a feeling that they are not good enough, that their faith is not strong enough. They're acquainted with all of their own failings and weaknesses, and they accept every condemnation that comes along the pike. They're willing always to believe anything against themselves, their unworthiness, their unfitness, their weakness, and their lack of faith. But here are some facts that I want to tell you. The Father has no favorites. Every person born into his family has the same redemption. He has been redeemed out of the hand of his enemy. Satan was conquered for him personally. And he could say he was delivered up on the account of my trespasses and he was raised for my justification in Romans 4 and 25. And he can confidently say, who delivered me out of the authority of darkness and translated me into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom I have my redemption, the remission of my trespasses, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It is a personal and absolute redemption from the bonds and shackles of Satan. When Jesus stripped Satan of his authority, it was you in Christ that did that work. Christ acted in your stead. He did it for you. And you can say, in Christ, I conquered Satan. I stripped him of his authority. And when Jesus arose from the dead, I raised up with him. And then you can go around confidently saying, But God, being rich in mercy with his great love, wherewith he loved me, even when I was dead through my trespasses and sins, made me alive together with Christ. By grace have I been saved or healed. And raised me up with him and made me to sit with him in the heavenlies in Christ. And it's when you take your place and begin to assume your rights and privileges that God begins to respond to you. You have the same eternal life that Jesus had. 1 John 5 and 12 says, He that hath the Son hath the life. You have the Son, you have the life. Now you can confess this. I have taken Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have confessed Him as my Lord. God has given to me eternal life His own nature. I am now a new creation created in Christ Jesus, and I have God's ability to perform the good works that were prepared before I should walk in them. I have God's ability because I have God's nature. 
And I have the same great mighty spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in me. 1 John 4 and 4 it says, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You've got the same righteousness as Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, Him who knew no sin, God made to be sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. And you can say, I have become the righteousness of God in Him. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to me, because I am in Christ Jesus. That's in Romans 8 and 1. The righteousness gives you the privilege of standing in the Father's presence as though you had never committed sin. You have His nature now. You are his very own child, and he's your father. And you can say, he has declared me righteous. He has made me righteous. And I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And as a son, you have the legal right to use the name of Jesus. Ain't nobody got a better right to use the name of Jesus than you do. Because all authority is in that name. Now, you might say to me, Jesus declares that whatever I ask in his name, he will give it to me. Fearlessly, I take my place. I lay my hands upon that loved one who is sick and say, in the name of Jesus, disease, leave this body. Demon, leave this body and go off into the abyss where you belong. And don't you never, ever touch this loved one again. Christ said to me in Mark 16 and 17, that they who believe should lay hands on the sick, and they should recover. In my name they shall cast out demons. He said that to me. I accept it at its face value, and I act upon it because he said it to me. And you got to know that the Father has no favors. And it ought to be a great comfort to our heart when you realize that the Father doesn't have, does not have any favors. That all the children have their own place in his heart. And he loves each one of them, even as he loves the Lord Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 23, that the world may know that you love them even as you loved me. We all got the same redemption. The work that he shaped in Christ absolutely destroyed the power of the enemy. And now it redeems every person that will accept Christ as Savior and confess Him as Lord. That redemption is from the works of the adversary and from His dominion over our lives. That's what that redemption is. Everyone has the same righteousness. And no one has a better righteousness or more righteousness. Because righteousness comes through the new creation. When we are born again, we receive the life and nature of God the Father. His nature makes us righteous. And no one has more of it than anybody else. And all who receive His nature have come into the family and are recognized as the sons and daughters of the great Father God. And everyone has the same rights in the family. 
Each one of you may have a different gift, but that gift does not make him any dearer to the heart of the Father because everyone has the same love nature, the same great Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Each one has a right to the same kind of fellowship with the Father. Each one has a right to the use of the name of Jesus. And each one of them has a right to the authority invested in that name to deliver people from the dominion of Satan to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Folks, the Father doesn't have any favors. But I'll tell you this, the closer your fellowship is with the Father, the sweeter and richer your life will be. Now the problem of healing is a problem of the integrity of the Word. A lot of folks hadn't recognized it, but the Word is the healer today. Because God in Christ gave us a perfect redemption. And in that redemption, there is perfect healing for every believer. But because of lack of knowledge of the Word, Christians all over the place are sick, ill, and dying. Psalms 107.20 says, He sent His Word and healed them. Then John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh in 14, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the word that he sent. He sent his spoken word through the prophets. The living word was made flesh. Now, he, God, unveils the life-giving word in the Gospels and the Epistles. John chapter 6 and verse 63 says, The words that I have spoken unto you are spirit and are life. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit, and both joints and marrow, quick to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word becomes a living thing only as we act on it. The Word is God speaking. It's always a present tense fact. And you could say that the Word is always now, just as God is always now. The Word is a part of God Himself. God and His Word are one, just as you and your Word are one. And the Word is the will of the Father, just as Jesus, the Word made flesh, was the will of the Father during His earthly ministry. I want to tell you something. What God says is and what God says will become had he not wanted it to be he wouldn't have said it and you can depend upon his word completely now in the past you have depended upon institutions and men these institutions might fall they may fail individuals may die nations will disintegrate but God cannot deny himself. And behind the word is the integrity of God. 
Not only is his integrity behind the word, but his very throne is involved in his word. Hebrews 7.22 declares that Jesus is the surety of the new covenant. It says, by so much as also hath Jesus become the surety of a better covenant. He backs every word from Matthew to Revelation. Every word was God breathed. And the throne upon which Jesus is seated right now is backed by every word. Now, there has to be a clear distinction in your mind between believing and mental assent. Now, believing the word is acting on the word, okay? Mental assent is acknowledging the truthfulness of the word, the integrity of the word, but never acting upon it. Mental assent is like a man standing outside the bakery, a bakery and coveting the cake in the window. It ain't possession. Now hope is not faith. It's not believing. Hope is always living in the future. But faith is always now. It's not passivity. Passivity lies quietly without action, without choice. It's inert. Believing is acting on the word. Believing the word is not only recognizing its complete truthfulness, but it is taking it to be your very own right now. And to act on his word is to do his will and to act in his will. And he's honored by our acting on his word. And he's dishonored by our mentally assenting to his truthfulness and by our hoping that it will become true sometime, and by our passivity that lies quietly rejoicing in the word, but it has no part in it. He that believeth hath, it says, and if you believe, you have. His name is glorified when we act on his word. The Father is glorified by our acting on the word. And remember this, that his throne is back of his word. His integrity is involved in it. He's going to fulfill everything that he said in his word. John 15, 7, it says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. That is the fruit of the indwelling word that has prompted prayers that are answered. Now, there's two views of healing. And here's the most common view. And that is that healing is not in the redemptive work of Christ, but belongs to us if we have faith enough to claim it. That belief there holds that faith is the gift of God. If God gives you faith for your healing, you're going to be healed. If he does not give you faith, there's no need to struggle for your healing. Your only hope is the arm of the flesh. Folks, that view is superficial. It is the result of sense knowledge. And sense knowledge is the knowledge of natural man that is gained through the five senses. It is the kind of knowledge taught in all of our schools and colleges. The other kind of knowledge, of course, is revelation knowledge. And it teaches that miracles are for today. 
sense knowledge contradicts it in a very large measure because it's above the knowledge of the senses. Revelation knowledge is. It's above the knowledge of the senses. And the second view of healing is that it is a part of the plan of redemption. That disease came with the fall and that sickness is a work of the adversary. And because disease came with the fall, God is the natural, logical healer. Man can't deal with the sin problem. He can't make himself righteous. And he cannot rid himself of sin consciousness. These can only come through the finished work of Christ. And God planned that when we were recreated, and the recreation which comes through our receiving the nature and life of God, that we would be righteous and partake of His righteousness, which is His very nature. This would give us the position of the sons. The new creation is more than being baptized or confirmed, folks. It's receiving the life and nature of the Father God. Our spirits are recreated by receiving eternal life. And Isaiah 53 holds the key of redemption. Jesus was made sin with our sins. Not only was he made sin with our sin, but he was made sick with our sicknesses. Matural man is called sin. Second Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 through 16 he says, Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness and iniquity? Or what communion hath light with darkness? The believer is called righteousness. The unbeliever is called iniquity. He has not only committed sin, but he is sin. The believer is called light. And the unbeliever is called darkness. And just as the sinner is sin, the sick man is not only sick, but he is sickness. Sin deals with the spirit. And sickness is a spiritual thing revealed in the body. He says, and what concord hath Christ but with Belial? Well, the believers call Christ because Christ is a part of the body, right? The branch is a part of the vine. And it's as much a part of the vine as the vine itself. First Corinthians 12 and 12 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of the body being many are one body, so also is Christ. The man outside of Christ is called Belial. And that perfectly, perfectly agrees with First John chapter 3 and verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. When God laid our sin on Jesus, he laid us on Jesus. He laid the whole man on Jesus. He laid his sins, his weaknesses, his infirmities and diseases, his union with the adversary on Jesus. Jesus became sin with our sin. He became sick with our sicknesses. Isaiah 53 and 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And another translation reads, It pleased the Lord to crush him with disease. He hath made him sick. And then in the sixth verse it says, All we like sheep 
have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Jehovah has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was made sick with our sicknesses. He was made sin with our sin. And this was God's method of dealing with the sin problem. He settled the sin problem. There ain't no more sin problem. Christ put sin away. And he satisfied the claims of justice for man. The real problem is the sinner problem. There is no sickness problem. There is simply a problem of each believer coming to know what his inheritance in Christ is. When John the Baptist said, John, in John one twenty nine, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was giving public notice that this man whom he had baptized was the sin substitute, the sickness substitute for the human race. Sin and sickness come from the same source. Satan is the author of both of them. And I'm sure that it's God's order that the believer should be as free from sickness as he is from sin. He should be as free from the fear of disease as he is from the condemnation of sin. God can't see sin in the new creation. Neither can he see sickness in the new creation. You know what James said? He said, is any sick among you? Folks, there ought not to be any sick among you. But if there is anyone sick, this tells him what he ought to do. It was the plan of the Father that the believer, every believer should know what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree, that we, having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And he wants us to know that when he laid our sins and sicknesses on Jesus, and Jesus bore them away, it was to show us that sin and disease should no longer have dominion over us. And he wants us to know in the second place that sickness and disease do not belong in the family of God. If there should be any sickness among us, it's because the low state of knowledge of our rights and privileges in our redemption. And it's due to a lack of knowledge of the fact that God by laying our diseases on Christ has settled the disease problem in our in the redemption plan. And we should be as free from the fear of sickness as we're free from the condemnation of sin because both of them are an enemy. At the new birth, Sins are all canceled, and the sin nature is replaced by the nature of God. Disease leaves with the sins, because the Father can see no sickness in the new creation. He put it all on Christ. When we recognize the fact that our sickness was laid on Christ, and that he bore our diseases in his body on the tree, and that by his stripes we were healed, it will be the end of the dominion of diseases, sickness in our lives. But this knowledge doesn't help you at all until your heart says, 
Surely he bore my diseases and my pains, and by his stripes I am healed. Just as though you were the only sick person in the world. The word is like God. It's eternal. It can't be destroyed. And he watches over it to make it good. His word brought man into being. And now he's building himself into man through the word. The word is part of himself. And it is this self that is changing the conduct of believers and bringing them into harmony with himself. He shares himself with us. He gives us his nature in the new creation. He makes himself one with us. And we are united with him in the new birth. We're supposed to take advantage of this union. His nature gives us a new ability. It gives us a new wisdom. And we have to take advantage of it. His strength is ours. His life is ours. His health is ours. And his ability is ours. But disease is Satan's work. And when you tell anybody of it, you glorify Satan. You ignore the fact that God laid that disease upon Jesus and that he put it away. Word says you're healed. And get used to acting on what the Word of God says and not what your senses tell you. Now, it's necessary that there be a continual confession of our redemption from Satan's dominion. And that he no longer rules us with condemnation nor fear of disease. We hold fast to this confession because our confession is Satan's defeat, glory to God. And we as believers... Don't ask to be healed because we already have been healed. And we don't ask to be made righteous because we already have been made righteous. And we don't ask to be redeemed for our redemption is an absolute fact. And in the mind of the Father, we are perfectly healed and perfectly free from sin. And because he laid our sins and our diseases upon his Son. His son was made sin with our sins. He was made sick with our diseases. And in the mind of Christ, we are perfectly healed because he can remember when he was made sin with our sins and when he was made sick with our diseases. He remembers when he put our sin and our diseases away. And in the mind of the Holy Spirit, we're free from both. For he remembers when Christ was made sin when he was made sick, he remembers when he raised Jesus from the dead. Christ was free from our sin and our sickness. Both of them had been put away before his resurrection. And the word declares that in 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes we were healed. The, the whole problem is our recognition of the truthfulness of that particular word. We shouldn't ask the Lord to heal us, for he's already done it. He declared that we are healed, therefore we are. Now, the only problem now is to get in harmony with his word. And if he declares that we are healed, then our part is to now thank him for the work he's already accomplished. Now, I'd like to bring in another subject for just a moment, and that's the renewing of our minds. It's only the renewed mind that can get a hold of these truths. 
your spirit has been recreated, but not your mind. Up to now, it has received all of its knowledge through the senses, so it has to be renewed. Romans 12 and 2 says, And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The same truth is brought out in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.23 says, And that ye be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, that after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Colossians 3 and 10 says, And have put on the new man that is being renewed unto knowledge after the image of him that created him. This renewing of the mind comes through meditation and acting on the word. And it's just as soon as one is born again, he ought to be asking the Holy Spirit to come in and make his home in his body. Luke chapter 11 and verse 13 shows the Father's attitude in regards to it. He says, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? So, as surely as we ask Him, so surely will the Spirit make His home in our bodies. The renewed mind sees that all you have to do to be healed is to praise the Father for it. It says, My diseases were laid on Christ, and He put them away. I am healed. I thank the Father that it is done. Now, the pain may still be there. The soreness might still be there. But that's only the testimony of the senses. And we refuse to listen to our senses as a witness. We accept the Word of God and we act upon it. And as surely as God sits on the throne, He'll make that Word good in us. We don't ask for power, for he, he who is the power is in us. We don't ask for wisdom, for Christ was made wisdom unto us. We don't ask for redemption, for he is our redemption. We don't ask for sanctification, for he has made us unto sanctification. We don't ask for righteousness, because he made unto us righteousness. This faith life can be and should be the most beautiful thing in the world. We step out of the old sense realm where we used to live because before now we've always lived with Thomas. He said in John chapter 20 and verse 25, Except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, when Jesus met him and said, Reach hither thy finger and see my hands, and reach hither thy hand and put it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. What Thomas do? He cried then. He said, My Lord and my God. But Jesus then said to him in John 20 and 29, Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. 
Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. We don't need the evidence of the senses. We need only to rest on what the Word of God says. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Folks, we're in a family. Everything that the Father has belongs to His children. And you're one of them. Because you have been blessed. You know, God meets man where He is. And most of the healings that were performed by the apostles and the early church were were among men and women that hadn't yet become Christians. They were heathens. Or they were old covenant Jews. Healing was God's method of advertising. God's method of revealing himself to the natural mind. And Jesus was an intrusion into the sense realm. The church, the new creation, was an invasion into the sense realm. But today the sense knowledge men have invaded the church and they've taken it over. The sense realm is the realm of the natural man who believes only what he can hear, taste, smell, feel, or see. And God's intrusion into that realm in the person of his son as head of the church was a miraculous invasion. Mark 16, verses 16 through 21 gives us evidence for this. He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that disbelieves shall be condemned, and these signs shall accompany them that believe. Now a strong confession coupled with a corresponding action on the word brings God on the scene. When you hold fast to your confession and when the senses contradict, then it shows that one has become established in God's Word. Holding fast to one's confession when the senses contradict shows that one has become established in the Word. A Satan-inspired confession is always dangerous. And remember that he's the one that brought that disease and put it upon you. And your acknowledgement of the disease is like signing for a package that the express company has left for you. Satan then has the receipt for your disease. You have accepted it. Surely he hath borne our sickness and carried our disease. That's God's receipt for a perfect healing. Because a positive confession dominates the circumstance while a doubting confession permits circumstances to govern you. Your confession is what God says about your disease. A negative confession will make the disease stronger. And the confession out of your lip for healing should have your heart's full agreement. As soon as a man believed, these signs were to accompany him. It says, In my name shall they cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. 
the word believer means a believing one. As soon as a man was born again, God planned that he should advertise this new creation by healing sick folk in the presence of an unsaved world. Jesus' entire ministry was a combat with the demon forces. And the same thing is true of the church today. All disease, all sickness, all pain, all trouble, all sin is a result of the satanic hatred of the human race. It says, in my name they shall cast out demons. We are to take Jesus' place. We are to go out into the world and act for him in the world. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And we're supposed to do the same thing just like he did today. 1 John 3 and 8 says, To this end was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. John fourteen twelve. Greater works than these shall you do because I go unto the Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. He's not talking about prayer. He's talking about casting out demons, about healing the sick and the miracles. And whatsoever you shall demand in my name, well, that word ask means demand. You are demanding as Peter did at the beautiful gate that morning when he said to that Hebleton man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the man was instantly healed. And he wasn't a Christian. He had not accepted Christ. And it's likely that all the multitudes who were healed and were recorded in Acts 5 were made up of unsaved people. The majority of the healings in the book of Acts were healings of sick people who had not yet become believers. And you need to read over Acts chapter 5 verses 12 through 16 because practically all of these people were unsaved Jews. Now they were of the old covenant, but they were not Christians. In Acts chapter 8 verses 8 through 10, the power of God is again unveiled. All these miracles performed in Jesus' name were upon the unsaved world. The church has missed its greatest method of advertising. God's method of advertising was through miracles. Divine healing has a large ministry with the unsaved today. Christianity is Christ living in men today. The incarnation and the new birth are both of God. Both are miracles. Answered prayer is a miracle. When prayer does not produce miracles, it ain't nothing but empty words. But a miracle is God moving into the sense realm. Now don't content, don't condemn yourself for uh, all your doubts. You need to cure them by getting acquainted with your father. Because confession always goes ahead of healing. Don't watch the symptoms. Watch the word. And be sure that your confession is bold and strong. 
Don't listen to people. Just act on the word. Be a doer of the word because it's God speaking. You are healed. The word says you are. Don't listen to senses. Give the word its place because God can't lie. It says, is any among you sick? And there should be no sick among you because by his stripes you are healed. And because there has been no spiritual development or growth and you're still babes in Christ, you are sick. Carnal means sense ruled. The carnally minded man is a Christian who has not yet come to the place where the word rules him and governs his, governs his thinking. He's called a babe in Christ. He's carnally minded. He's fleshly. He's ruled by the flesh, by what he sees with his eyes, what he feels, hears, tastes, smells. He is a body-ruled, sense-governed child of God. He is a babe in Christ. First Corinthians First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. And that's talking about men whose spirits, spirits have gained the ascendancy over their thinking. Their spirit is recreated, but the lost mind rules the spirit. He says, I cannot speak unto you as men whose minds are subordinate to the word of God. Their minds were not renewed. They were still babes. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 through 14. Of whom we have many things to say and hard of interpretation seeing you are become dull of hearing. How many believers fall under this admonition because they can't understand the word? Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 13. For everyone that partakes of milk is without experience of the word of righteousness for he is a babe. This word of righteousness is very little understood. They have never had an experience in living in righteousness. What do we mean by that? Well, righteousness means the ability to stand in the presence of the Father or of demons or of sickness and disease without this sense of inferiority, condemnation, or of sin consciousness. Those who live righteousness or who know by the word that they are the righteousness of God in Christ, are absolute masters over circumstances, demons, and disease. Glory to God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You are having experience in the word of righteousness. And you're finding that it is the word that heals. This ministry of the word of God is the word of righteousness. It is the word of righteousness that sets men free. And that leads them out of Satan's dominion into the liberty and freedom of the sons of God. And they become fearless. They are bold and they're mighty when they speak. Hebrews 5 and 14 says, But solid food is for full-grown men. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. The believer described above has grown up into a spiritual life in Christ. He's fed on the word 
until that word has transfigured him. It has changed him. James chapter 5 and verse 14 through 16 is God's method of healing the carnally minded or the babes in Christ. And God in great grace says in James 5, 14, 16, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save him that is sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. Confess, therefore, your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The supplication of a righteous man avails much in its working. Now, I want you to notice something about these facts he's talking about here. He can't see that his disease was laid on Christ, but he can see the elders. He can hear their prayers and feel the anointing oil upon his forehead. And he can feel their hands upon his head. He is living in the realm of the senses. Grace comes down and meets him in this realm. And if he had taken advantage of his privileges, <clears throat> he would have gone ahead himself and acted on First John 1 and 9. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That scripture is to the Christians. Had that believer, that babe in Christ, taken advantage of his rights and privileges, he would have looked up and said, Father, forgive me for the thing I have done which caused my sickness. And what would have happened? The Father would have forgiven him and healed him right then. But he has to see and feel before he can believe. He belongs to Thomas's class. When I see, I will believe. Practically all the faith that men had in Jesus before his death and resurrection was sense, knowledge, faith. They believed in things that they saw and heard. Because he couldn't believe in a resurrection, it hadn't happened yet. They had never seen a resurrection. They saw Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. He was simply raised and brought back to life again. He was not resurrected because he died again. And praise for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that comes down to our level and meets us where we cannot apparently act on the word because we're governed by the senses. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of pains and acquainted with disease. He was a root out of dry ground, but he was precious to the Father, though condemned by the world. Isaiah 53 and 3 says, As one from whom men hide their faith, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was stricken and smitten of God with our diseases. Every disease known to the human race was laid upon Jesus. Isaiah 52 and 14 says, Like as many were astonished at thee, his appearance was marred more than any man. And it goes on and says, And his form 
was more than the sons of men, his form more than the sons of men. One Bible reads this way, Men were dumbfounded at him, for deformed was his appearance so as not to be a man, and his figure so as not to be human. Or, so shall many be amazed over him. His visage was so marred unlike to a man, and his form unlike the sons of men. His visage was so as not to be a man, and his figure no longer resembled a man. He was made sin with our sin, and he was under the dominion of Satan. And this is a description of Jesus' spirit, not his body. He was made sick with our diseases. And when those diseases came upon his precious spirit, he no longer resembled a man. The heart can't take it in. Reason stands dumb in the presence of statements like these. He was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. It was God who laid our diseases upon him. It was justice that demanded a recompense for our offense. Isaiah 53 and 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Now you can see this fact that sickness was healed spiritually. God did not deal with sickness physically. Disease today is spiritual. And I found that when I can prove through the word that our diseases were laid on Jesus and the sick man accepts that fact that he gets healed. And as long as we think that disease is purely physical, we'll not get our deliverance. But when we know it is spiritual and it must be healed by the word of God, for you remember when he said he sent his word and healed them, then healing becomes a reality. He was wounded for our transgressions. This was spiritual. He was bruised for our iniquities. It was a spiritual bruising. And the wounds that the soldiers made didn't take away sin, for if they had, sin would be a physical thing, a sense knowledge thing. Human justice deals only with sense evidences, not by what a man thinks, but what but by what he says or what he does. He endured sufferings that the sense can't understand. They stand mute and helpless in the presence of this great spiritual tragedy that took place on Calvary. It says the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. It was not the physical wounds made by the guard It was the stripes that justice laid upon his spirit. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in the tenth verse it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath made him sick. Love could see humanity redeemed. Faith could see a new creation. He made him sick with our sickness. We need not be sick. Only ignorance of our rights or refuses to act upon the word can keep us ill. He made him sin with our sin. 
And we don't need to remain in sin. He became sin that we might become righteous. And he went to hell that we might go to heaven. He was made weak that we might be made strong. And he took our place and he met every need and he satisfied every claim of justice. And then he set us free. And if this be the case, sickness on the part of the believer is wrong. Just as weakness and every other thing that Satan brought upon man is wrong because he suffered to put it away. Glory to God. Praise God forevermore. Well, that's all the time I've got. God bless you. We'll see you next time. God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul. Purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white. Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart in you I find. Mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus